God's good, amen? amen. All the time. That's right. Hallelujah. Okay, so we've been doing a, a, a series called um, The Blueprint for the End Time Church. And uh, we, we've covered uh, quite a lot of ground so far. We need to cover some more ground today. But uh, primarily our focus has been on inner court life. What does, it, what does it mean for us as Christians living life in the inner court? And the inner court or the sanctuary is the place really where we're supposed to function as Christians. We are priests unto God and therefore a predominant part of our life and our ministry should be in that place, which is the prayer of prayer of sorry, the place of prayer, the place of worship, uh, and various other things, which we'll start to unpack today. Okay, right. So let, let's just do a quick recap. So over uh, week one, we looked at briefly what a church should be, which is a house of prayer, uh, a house of assembly, and a house of study, uh, but primarily a house of prayer. We individually are houses of prayer, or at least we should be. Amen. And we corporately should be the house of prayer as well. Then we looked at the shadow from the Old Testament. And we looked at some of the functions of priests. Um, and then we started looking a little bit into the New Covenant. We looked at the, uh, the concept of Jesus being Mel Melchizedek, uh, which is a, a title which means King of Righteousness, King of Peace. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, King of Righteousness, King of Peace. Um, and then we started looking at what we are, therefore, as priests in that order. And today, today we're going to look a little bit at some of the spiritual sacrifices um, that are involved for us as priests. Okay, so it would be good to know what it is. You know, it's all very well known we're priests in theory, but what does that mean in, in reality? What does that mean practically? What does that mean for me on Monday morning? Amen. And so one of my things that I'm trying to do in my life and been doing it over, over years, over the last few years is to more and more come into the fullness of what God has called me to be, which is not necessarily my secondary ministry, which is a pastor or whatever, but my primary ministry is to enter into the holy place and to minister to my God. That's my primary ministry and, and my function is a priest. We also looked last week as well how Jesus was the offerer, the offering and the priest, remember? Okay, so we did all that. Uh, and now today we're going to get into spiritual sacrifices. So there'll be lots here that I won't mention today and there'll be lots that, I'll, that I will mention here as well. So if you've got anything, oh, we didn't mention that. Don't worry, it'll all come out in, in over the next uh, few years when we go through this series. Okay. <laughs> so prayer, that's the first one I want to talk about today. That, that is a spiritual sacrifice. As I said last week, you know, about praise and worship, when we offer a sacrifice of praise, it doesn't mean that it's really hard for us and, oh, I can't be bothered and it's such a sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise means that as priests, you don't get to slay animals anymore. So in place of, of slitting the throat of an animal uh, and presenting that before God, what you do now is you present prayers and worship and adoration and that's your sacrifices, which is whole and right and pleasing to God. And the ultimate sacrifice, of course, is ourselves. Amen. As we lay down our lives in obedience for him, that is the ultimate sacrifice. It's like following Jesus, who was the offerer, the offering and the priest. We are priests and we are the offerer and we are the offering. So we get to place our own lives on the altar of God. And the only people that can do that are priests. In other words, you have to be born again if you want to put your life on the altar for God. Amen. And some people are called to do different things. 
what God may say for that person to go on the altar may be for you something that he's not asking you to do. I found instances where uh, when I used to be a full-time musician, I used to go out to some really dark places, if I'm honest with you, but that's where I was okay with that. God, God was fine with that, I was okay with it. But there's other Christians that they would really struggle in that environment. So what may be for one person isn't necessarily for everybody. The thing I've learned about Christianity is one size doesn't fit all deal, amen? Which is great because we've got a lot of different shaped people in the room, hallelujah. We'd all be wearing spandex or something, I don't know. So. If we, uh, if we look, turn with some, we've got plenty of scriptures to get through, so we're going to start with the Psalms and we're going to look at Psalm 141 and verse 2. So I must say this is really Bible teaching rather than any kind of preaching, so we're going to take our time with this. Uh, so Psalm 141 and verse 2. Yep, hope I looked at the right psalm. When I wonder that didn't make any sense. <laughs> I thought, what is that about? Um, yeah, may my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Now, I'm going to show you today when you read the psalms, there's loads of things in the psalms that you and I, for the most part, just overlook and don't realise the significance of what we're reading because we don't understand the context because we don't have a temple amen if we if we had a, a temple like they did in is in israel we'd all get these verses we understand what it means so at the moment you probably don't really understand what i've just read there all you saw there was the prayer being incense but you haven't understood it in the context of an evening offering so i'll read that again my, may my prayer be counted as incense before you the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering now what i find really incredible is that what happened in the tabernacle of Moses which was uh, which had several parts to it you had like a big outer court area which was all kind of canvas all the way around and it was pretty large uh, and then within that area then you had like this this again the sanctuary tent which wasn't so large and in that there was two sections the most holy place the holy place and then outside of the tent you had the uh, uh, um, uh, a laver which you washed in and then before that then you had the big bronze um, altar where everything was burnt and stuff so um, and what I find incredible is that what they were doing in the Old Testament is a prototype of what's actually going on right now in heaven it's actually going on so so the, the sons of Levi were imitating the angels because angels are priests. I don't know if you know that. Most people don't realize that. But angels have priestly functions in, in heaven. And so the sons of Aaron, uh, when they were doing the Levitical priesthood, they were literally imitate what's still going on right now in heaven. So if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Has anyone listened to my 79-part uh, series on Revelation yet? Look, the, the two. Two. Two hardcore fans out there. Well done. Um, but I, I spent... Quite a, I laboured a lot on this, on the issue of worship in heaven, because there, there's some really important things that we need to be mindful of. So, for example, you might go to some churches and they burn incense, and some Christians get really funny about that. Oh, what's all that incense stuff about? You know, that's all religion and tradition. But actually, no. If you under, it, it, from church history, we know the reason what they would, why they were doing it is because they were trying to imitate what's going on in heaven and try to do it on the earth at the same time. 
Just like they did in the Old Testament, they wanted in the New Testament times in the early church, they wanted to offer up incense, etc., because that's what's actually going on in heaven right now. And as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, um, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. Okay? All right, so that means not just in our lifestyle, it's not just in the kingdom of God, but also everything to do with that temple and that worship. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And um, it says, when he had taken the book, I think this is Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Hallelujah. Now, this is fascinating. Now, if you take the time and actually study the book of Revelation from a point of view of worship, okay, not not for all the end time stuff, just filter that out for a minute and study it from a point of worship. It's a fascinating book, what we're seeing here, because the angels are quoting liturgy. They're quoting Psalms. They're quoting scripture in the context of a liturgical service. What do I mean by liturgical? In other words, there is order. There is structure. They know what they need to do and say what they need to say at certain points of the service, so to speak. And it is a service, okay? that's going on in heaven. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 8 verse 3 and we get another little glimpse of what's going on up there. Again this is showing angels in their priestly function. It says another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. Now a censer is kind of like this bowl on chains and in the censer you put incense etc. And it says um, uh, it was holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the, uh, saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now again, okay, for those that know their Old Testament, you will know it in the tabernacle of Moses, you had in the sanctuary area, which was the most holy place in the holy place, okay, just to illustrate, say this is the most holy place here, right? So in here we had the Ark of the Covenant. Then here we had the big veil, the curtain, which separated. And then just in front of this curtain was this uh, little three foot high altar made of gold. And that was the incense altar. That's exactly what's just being mentioned here in the book of Revelation. So everything you see, you see, you see, the, you see the throne room of the Lamb, you have the 24 elders and the cherubim with their wings over the Lord as it, as it does on the Ark of the Covenant. And you've got those cherubims crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then you come past the veil of the sea of glass and then you've got the altar of incense that's burning up and that's where all the prayers of the saints are going up and angels are coming and they're adding extra incense to make the prayers more potent before the Lord their God and so you, this is going on right now in heaven hallelujah absolutely right now um, so so what the priests were doing in the Old Testament they were literally foreshadowing and typing on the earth the reality that's going on in heaven this is why what we do on a Thursday night, this is not an advert by the way, but it's a great time to plug it. Um, on Thursday nights when we do House of Prayer, this is what we're trying to imitate. So sometimes we'll have incense burning. Uh, we have anti antiphonal singers and so they're hearing the prayers and they're singing them back to God. Uh, we're quoting scriptures and we're singing scripture and then we go into times of worship and then we come back into the place of prayer again because we're trying to imitate on earth the heavenly pattern, amen? And it's good to do it that way. 
So there's a little glimpse of uh, what's going on in heaven, and we'll come back to that in a minute. So Ephesians 6.18 says that we're to prayer with all manner of prayers. Okay, There's loads of different types of prayers. How many, how many are there, Tracy, in your, your list? She's got 30 in her list. I don't think I've got quite so many. Um, I've got 12. Okay, so she, she's, uh, she's got 30. I've got 12. Um, so prayer with all, all manner of prayers. Um, so the first one, the, f- the famous one is now again here, I'm going to I'm going to make this into certain categories. There's there's outer court prayer and inner court prayer as well. OK, so outer court prayer is things like the prayer of petition. OK, then we have the prayer of faith. Whatever you ask for, believing you shall receive it. Amen. A lot of people of faith in here today. Amen. Uh, the prayer of supplication. Um, the prayer of agreement. There's all scriptures and stuff that go with this. Once I finish this series, you can have all my notes and stuff. Um, the prayer of consecration. The prayer of intercession. The prayer of forgiveness. The prayer of thanksgiving. Praying in the spirit. And I want to stop on this bit for a little minute. Praying of psalms and liturgy. Okay, this is now I can see some of you uh, charismatics in here. You're already giving me the look like, oh, what's this? Liturgy. You know. um, but I, I want to I stop on this for a little second because um, there, are, there are some Christians in the house that if it, unless it's Jewish, it ain't kosher. All right? I don't want none of that Gentile mumbo jumbo. Unless it's Jewish, it ain't kosher. Okay? Well, I've got good news for you. The Jewish people do this, okay? They've been doing it for thousands of years and they're still doing it now. And if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And if it's good enough for the angels who are also doing it in heaven, it's still good enough for me, amen? Okay, right. So, liturgy. Now, some people go, where's that in the Bible then, Chris? Where's liturgy in the Bible? It's called the Book of Psalms, amen? It's a, it's a liturgical book of praise. Now, this is fascinating, as we'll look at this in a few weeks' time, about the Tabernacle of David. So we've looked at Solomon's Temple, the Tabernacle of Moses, but the Tabernacle of David is different. And what's interesting about the Tabernacle of David is up until that time, there, were, there was no real formal praise and worship before God. Okay, you did it ad hoc, here, there and everywhere, but actually as a part of the temple structure itself and as a part of temple worship, praise and worship was not a thing. It was, the, it was actually David's tent or David's tabernacle that instituted that into a regular feature of temple worship. And if you don't believe me, read First Chronicles and that lists all the singers and all the musicians and everybody and, uh, and how that they were supposed to rotate and how they were, had antiphonal singers and all this kind of stuff. That only came into being through King David and through what was taught to him by the prophet Saul, Samuel, Samuel, prophet Samuel, etc. So that I find is fascinating that up until that time they did do praise and worship, but not like the way David did it. And after that, man, they, 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 they learned to rock. And it was only until uh, in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed that the Jewish people sat down and they were like, so why, why, do, you reckon, why do you reckon the temple got destroyed? Well, let's not mention Jesus, OK, but are there any other reasons why the temple got destroyed? They come up with two answers. <coughs> Women. It's always a woman's fault, right? Not that they would agree with that, it's always a man's fault. So women and, and, and the noise of praise and worship. And that's why today synagogues no longer have like praise and worship like we do. I mean, and, and you, where are you getting that from? Uh, a local Jewish rabbi told me that, so it must be true, right? Um, so I find that quite interesting. So anyway, so back to my point of liturgy. So 
liturgical stuff, obviously a lot of that psalms. Now what I'm going to look, show you here, here's just a cross section of some of the liturgical books I use every day in my prayer life. Now I know you're all tongue-talking, spirit-filled, type Christians, okay? And, and you're probably thinking, what is this? Get it out of the building, Chris, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, but, but, but they're fine, okay? They really are fine. This one was found in this church building, and this is from 1903. Now, I love prayer books. Now, look at this. Look at the state of it. But what this tells me is that when I see a dirty, broken-up prayer book, it tells me they have a really healthy prayer life. The worse the book, the better the prayer life. So my books are all new, you'll be pleased to know. Um, <laughs> I got loads. So this is the 1662, the very first edition of the Common Book of Prayer, which obviously the Anglicans use. Uh, this one was found at this building as well. And again, you know, this one's been well loved and, and well used, so that's nice. Um, this one here, this is from the Catholic tradition, it's called the Liturgy of the Hours. This is uh, one of four. This will set you back about 130 quid. <whistles> a lot of money. Um, but the way I see it is how much, I mean, you only buy something like this once, but how much are you prepared to invest into your prayer life? I'd put it that way, because you only ever need to buy them once. Um, this is a more up-to-date, modern version of that, and it's now condensed into three editions. Um, and if you're really not into any of that kind of stuff, then this is Celtic daily prayer, again, from the early Celtic Christians from around about 300 AD in this, in this, in this nation. Um, not so much a fan of that. Great readings, but very simple prayer stuff. I'm not really into that. Um, then this is the Anglican Ordinariate Prayer Book, which is basically um, the common book of prayer mixed with some high church Catholic stuff. That one's really nice. Um, and then this one is just a basic common book of prayer, but it looks pretty. And uh, this one here, if I had to take all my prayer books and condense them into one book, and this is, and you only need one book, you only need to use for the rest of your life, it's this one here. And this is a Benedictine uh, short breviary, uh, and this has readings for every day of the year, loads of prayers. And do you know what these prayers are? Okay, they're just scripture. There's nothing weird, there's nothing dodgy in here, um, and, and, and most of what you pray each day is just the Psalms, okay? Uh, so I, I, think it's, I think it's awesome. And so I, I, in my studies of church history, I kept coming across all this stuff about the importance of liturgy in the church, and I was like, well, what, why, what is the point of this? I mean, why would you do that? But then as I studied the, the, the early temple, I realised several things, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but in the temple, they prayed at certain times of the day. They, as you know, they offered sacrifices at certain times of the day. So at nine o'clock in the morning, they presented a lamb that was going to be sacrificed. At 12 o'clock, they tied it to the altar. And at three o'clock, they, they, they slew the, the animal. OK, Jesus was handed over to be betrayed at nine o'clock in the morning. He was attached to the cross at 12 and he was crucified and died at three o'clock in the afternoon. OK, isn't that rather spooky how that just sinks in completely with the temple? And then you look at the t how they prayed. They had prayers in the morning, in the afternoon and later on in the day and how that all synced into the temple. And as I began to read this and then I learned then from early church history, how the early church were doing the same thing from first, second, first, second and third century. Oh, I've offended my wife and, uh, and Trish. Um, so. And then, I, and then they carry that tradition on. And some churches and some traditions still do that now, today. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I, I thought to myself, I'll try it for two years. 
Because, you know, if you're going to try it, you've got to try it, right? So I thought, I'll do it for two years and see what difference it makes to my faith. And put it this way, I will never, ever, ever not, not use those books anymore. They have enriched my prayer life in such a wonderful way and it brings me into rhythm. But the cool bit is this. You see, as charismatic evangelicals, when we pray, we just pray our own prayers, don't we, for the most part. And, and if you're in a prayer meeting, some people will amen it and uh, some people won't. Uh, and that's it. But when you're praying this stuff, I am praying with the church all around the world. Paul says to pray without ceasing. And you go, how can I pray without ceasing? I still have to go to sleep. You know, I've still got a job to do. That's because our mindset's back to front. We think everything's about me. Amen? I might think everything's about me. Do you think everything's about me? No. Okay? So anyway, I got that wrong. That doesn't matter. But the thing is, Paul's not talking about you individually. He's talking to the church corporately, pray without ceasing. So when I'm praying at certain times of the day, I've got my friends in America at a different time zone are praying the same prayers at their time of the day. I've got guys in India at their time of the day praying the same prayers that I'm praying. So the church is praying in unison the same prayers 24 hours a day. And it's going up praying without ceasing into the heavens. And when there's agreement and when, when there's brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, God commands that blessing. And so when I'm praying those prayers, it doesn't matter whether I agree with the theology of, of the people that wrote these books in the sense of that one might come from a different tradition that I'm a part of. It makes no difference because they're just prayers. And so I don't care what tradition you're from. We can all pray the same prayers because they're all biblical and they're all scriptural and they're all going up to God and we're all in unison and in harmony. I think that's powerful. But modern, modern evangelical Christians do not do this, have no sense of attachment to it, and therefore they don't realize what we're missing. And you are missing. You're missing out big time. So if you don't do it, I'd strongly recommend you to do it. And if you want to get started, like how would I get started on something like that? Well, I would say start with something nice and easy like the common book of prayer. But I'm one of those people that get bored really quick. You know, don't give me the same prayers every single day because it just bores me. So I, I, that's why I like these ones here because um, there's four of these, one for each season. So you've got Advent and you've got uh, Lent and then you've got the uh, two others for ordinary time and all that kind of stuff. And so they're always different prayers and you're rotating around and you're reading different things. And not only that, you celebrate the saints, okay? Who are the saints then? What are they? These are famous men and women throughout church history that have laid down their lives for the kingdom of God. And again, on evangelical Christians, we don't even know these people. We've forgotten about these people. And as you start reading these things, you go, who's that person? Who's this person? And as I've studied into the lives of these people, man, they're so inspiring. So, you know, our guess, I guess our saint would be uh, Saint Smith, Smith Wigglesworth. You know, we all know him, right? So that would be the equivalent of a saint. It's just remembering people from the past and remembering their lives and having a day that's dedicated to them. I think, I think it's great. Okay, so we'll come back to some of that stuff in a minute. So other forms of prayer. Uh, so that's praying psalms and liturgy. We've also got meditative prayer, um, uh, which is known as the prayer of meditation and reflection. And there's loads of scriptures for that. Then there's contemplative prayer, which is silent prayer. I don't know what you're thinking. Silent prayer? What kind of prayer is that? Surely prayer is doing something, saying something. Well, how fun, that's silent prayer. What's that about? Well, let me liken it to those in this room who are fortunate to have a spouse, okay? That when you're sat with your spouse in the evening and you're just watching a bit of telly and stuff like that, okay? There's those moments where you don't say anything, but you're still having communion with each other. You're still enjoying each other's presence. 
It's the same with God and silent prayer. Today, after, the, after all that noisy worship, we finally came to a place of silence, and it was lovely, wasn't it? I just want to sit there in that silence. That's silent prayer, because you're just contemplating the presence of God. He is with us, and we're just contemplating, and we're just enjoying his presence. That's known as silent prayer. Okay, so... Now, one of the things that I want to talk about today as part of our spiritual sacrifice, in the light of what I said about liturgy in the temple, is what is known as praying the hours of the temple. Okay, So, as I said, our prayers, they're offered up and they ascend to God uh, in the sanctuary, which I think is just amazing. But also, the Bible teaches us that we are to actually pray at certain times. Now, again, this is lost on us because... We don't have this in our church culture and we don't have a temple anymore. So let's start looking at some of these verses here. Okay, we've got a few to get through. So let's go to the Psalms and we'll look at Psalm verse 5. Sorry, Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. Psalm 5, verse 3. I'm going to give you a whole load of them. Okay. In the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Now, again, we just think, oh, yes, just have my morning quiet time with Jesus. That's what I do there. No, but there's a context here. It's in context of the temple. Okay, so you came to temple and you presented your morning prayers and your morning worship at a certain time of the day. Okay, so just hold that on your mind. Uh, Now we go to Psalm 55, verse 17. Bless you. This is a bit more of a negative one, but I love this about God. He doesn't mind. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. Some husbands get that as well. I'm only joking. And and then the next one now, moved on now, uh, Daniel 6.10. It says, now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered into his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. Again, why? Because of the temple. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. We know from the scriptures um, that... They prayed in the morning, they prayed at noon, and they prayed in the afternoon. Because remember, when Jesus was handed over at nine, crucified, put on the cross at 12, died at three, this was all synced into the sacrifice of the temple for about one and a half thousand years. And so people's prayer life was synced into that as well. Okay, So this is not just random, I just get up in the morning, I start praying. It was at certain specific times of the day. Psalm 119, verse 64. I know talking about prayer and doing this sort of stuff isn't necessarily super sexy, but at the end of the day, it's stuff that I really feel that God really wants to bless us with and bring us back to and understand things uh, and understand the mechanics of what we're doing because that's important as well. So Psalm 119, verse 164, and it says, Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Seven times a day. Now, for those that are any monks here today, 
No? Okay. But anyway, those are monks and nuns, etc. This became an early part of the church tradition in that they, this is where things um, came from, such as matins, lords, prime, sext, non, vespers and compline, came from that scripture where they felt they had to worship God seven times a day. Again, it's still linked with the temple. So you have it, you know, the, the cardinal hours were 6, 9, 12, 3, 6, 9, 12. And it just kept going round and round and round. So God was being praised all around the clock. Okay. The book of Acts teaches that the saints prayed in one accord, which is obviously unison and unity, but they also prayed liturgical prayers that came from the Jewish tradition. Where's that in the Bible? So turn with me to uh, uh, Acts chapter 1 to start with. Has anyone watched The, um, the Chosen? Yeah. So you'll see at certain times of the day, don't they? They wake up in the morning and they say their, their, bright, their blessings to God and then they do it at certain times. Of the day. This is all, all linked into that. They're, they're, the Jewish people are deeply liturgical and I think it's something that we lack as a part of our prayer life. There's lots of things we have going for us, but I think it's one of those things that we lack. And also this whole discipline of doing things at certain times of the day. Uh, incidentally, that's why um, church clocks were invented primarily, was that people, and when they bing, bong, whatever it is at certain times of the day, it was to remind the congregations and to remind the Christians to pray at certain times. I don't know if you know that. Even that church around the corner there, it chimes at certain times of the day and it's got something written around the face of it, which is to call people back to prayer at certain times of the day. Okay, and this all comes from the Jewish tradition. Um, so in Acts chapter 2, where did I say a minute ago? Yeah, that's wow. one, didn't I? Yeah, just ignore me. So in Acts chapter... We'll come back to that in a minute. So Acts chapter 2, uh, it talks about how the, they, the disciples gathered at the ninth, sorry, the third hour of the day. Anyone know what time the third hour was? Nine o'clock in the morning. That's right. Okay. Um, so they gathered at nine. Why? Because it's linked to the temple. Um, again, now Acts 10 verse 9. So you can see this for yourself. So you think you're not just making this up. Acts 10 verse 9. It says, on the next day, um, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So now he's praying at the sixth hour. Um, Acts 3 verse 1 says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, as it says in your Bible here. Okay. So you can see that. And then uh, Acts 16, 25, when uh, I think it's Paul and uh, Silas are in prison. I think it's Silas. And they've been whipped and stuff. At 12 o'clock at night, they start praising the Lord. OK, so it's those cardinal hours was when they did a lot of their praying. There's also other times in the book of Acts where Paul is seeking somewhere to pray at a certain time of the day. Again, so they're seeking to be with other Jewish believers where they would have got and they would have read liturgical psalms or they would have memorized them and said certain prayers that they say every single day. And you think, well, if that's good enough for them, surely it's good enough for us, right? And I really want to encourage everybody to try to start do this. There's, there's no excuse, right? So there, there is really cool little apps that you can use on your phone now, which are like prayer apps. Uh, Time to Pray is one of them. Uh, Divine Office is another one. There's loads of them, okay? Time to Pray is a good one. It's the Church of England one, I believe. And so at each part of the day, it's just like, okay, you've got a little prayer to pray. You've got a bit of a psalm to pray, etc. And you do it, okay? Now, 
like I said, you know, when I look at uh, wherever it's gone, it probably disappeared, but when I, when I look at a prayer book, oh, here it is, what I'm seeing is someone's prayer life. And one, thing, one of the one, things that I want to do to my grandchildren one day when I've cobbed it and gone to glory is I want them to have my prayer books and I want to see them, I want them to see that they've been well worn because I want them to remember that the legacy that I leave behind for my family in the future is that I was a man of prayer. That's the legacy. I don't want the legacy of, he was someone famous for Jesus. I don't care about that. I want people to know that I was a man of prayer. That's, that's my legacy because that's my primary calling. I'm a priest. I'm a priest. And that's what I need to do if I'm a priest, right? It reminds me, of, it, it reminds me, it, it reminds me of when we used to be at Pub, not Pub, but um, uh, Cattersfield. And uh, that we had the, this housing estate right opposite us, which is all gone now, got knocked down. And you used to have this Irish guy there. And he, he quite often I'd be in the service and then suddenly you hear his door bang open and you hear at the back, it's the priest here so I could talk to the priest. So they'd have to drag me out and I'd go speak to him. And I'm about to go around to his house one day and, uh, and, and pray for him and stuff. And then next day he comes into the church with a picture of the Pope. And he went, oh, I come in here the other day and I noticed you didn't have a picture of the Pope in your church. So here's a picture of the Pope to put up on your wall. I was like, thank you. That's great. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he was Irish like that as well it was great hallelujah so I'm saying all these things now I appreciate this might sound a little bit boring and a bit dry but actually this is really really important because if we can learn to dis dis discipline ourselves to pray even just a few minutes at 9, 12, 3 and 6 come on we can all do it right you can all just nip off to the toilet or something at 9 sorry guys I just got to nip to the toilet okay 12 o'clock just going to the toilet again yeah, 3 o'clock toilet okay <laughs> you know there's no reason why I can I can sense people like theologically struggle with that idea praying on the toilet anyway let's not go there let's not go there um, but you, there is no reason why we can't get into a rhythm daily of just praying at certain times of the day let me tell you what it does it really breaks up your day because, you know, when we get to work, it's just like, boom, it's full on. But if you could just stop a few minutes each day and you just read a couple of maybe a psalm and just some scriptures and a quick prayer, it really resets your heart and really resets your mind and your day. That actually, you're devoting certain times to God in prayer. But not just that, but again, around the world and according to the temple tradition, which Jesus followed and is going on in heaven right now, somehow we're sinking in, up into something that is way beyond our, our little individual lives, that's actually vast and cosmic, and that somehow we're connecting to the heavenly temple that's going on right now, right on, right now, and that we can somehow connect and join with that with our little prayers. I don't know about you, but that excites me. I find that absolutely incredible that I can be doing something that's actually affecting heaven and my prayers are ooh, wafting up there like a bit of incense and put on those golden bowls and presented before God the Father so that at a certain time when those bowls are full he'll pour them down onto the earth and see answered prayers you know and even when you're just praying psalms I want to I want to say this about the psalms as well the psalms are the most wonderful things to pray because they, they cater for the full spectrum of human emotion. You know, sometimes, I mean, I, I have died 
and I came out of death and it really messed my head up, if I'll be honest with you. It really messed me up, put me in a dark place. And sometimes when I'm reading the Psalms, you know, it talks about how, you, you know, in the place of Sheol was where I was and stuff. And you brought me out from Sheol and you brought me to this place. And, and sometimes, you know, you can see in the Psalm, the Psalmist, he's so heavy hearted at things that are going on in his life or in people's lives. And there are other times where it's just praise and exaltation and joy and praise the Lord. And there are other times where it's why God, why God, why? I love it. So you can just, the Psalms, they resonate with you. No matter how you're feeling on any day, any one day, you will resonate with one of those Psalms that you're reading. Hallelujah. I just love it. And, and they're not just Psalms, they're not just songs, but they are actual prayers written by the Holy Spirit himself. Hallelujah. So when you're praying those Psalms, you are praying the very words of God that are his prayers. And they're the prayers of Jesus. They're not the prayers of Jesus. Yes, they are. Read them and, and read them in the light of Jesus. Even the ones where it says, you know, I'm so bent down with the weight of sin. You know, Jesus didn't sin. Well, he became sin when he was on the cross. And when you read this, you just get this richness and this depth to, to the scriptures and your prayer life that you can't get just by yourself. It's because you're stepping into someone else's life. You're stepping into Christ. You're stepping into his prayers and you're regurgitating and you're repraying his own prayers back to God. And because of what you're going through in your life, somehow you, you, you reflect something. You, can, you, 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 you enjoin with those prayers because you can feel it in your own life when you're going through the bad times or the low times or the good times. And you know that when you're praying those prayers, that means Jesus, you know, he had bad days. Wait, Jesus isn't Spock. Okay, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't have this, you know, that's completely logical. We don't, we don't do humour, we don't do fun, we don't do any of that. Jesus was, was passionate. He had days where, you know, he was under so much pressure and he had other days where he was joyous and other days where he was sad. Hallelujah. And when we read those Psalms, they're his prayers. You might go, oh, the King David's prayers. But David was moved by the, his pen was moved by the Holy Spirit. He uttered things that were from God. And, and David, who is a, a type of the Messiah himself, you know, he, he stepped into the shoes of Jesus and wrote as he were Jesus, writing about the life of Jesus, writing about the crucifixion of Jesus, writing about the death and being in hell. Jesus wrote what it's like to be in hell in the Psalms. It's all there, guys. So when you come to the Psalms, don't, please don't just like, you know, I read three chapters a day and one Psalm a day. Like it's a Bible, like it's a part of your Bible reading. Don't, please, please don't read Psalms like it's a part of your daily Bible reading. All right? Don't do it because that's not what it's supposed to be. It's a prayer. When you read it, pray it. Hallelujah. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Hallelujah. But then don't end up your game a bit. Don't just read them because Psalms are not supposed to be read either. Psalms are supposed to be persung. Okay, so... <laughs> Creating me, a, you could do it really monk-like. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. Or, you know, or just, just make stuff up, you know. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And you start doing stuff like that, right? 
And, the, and seriously, in your prayer room, all right, you will have the presence of God. I, when I, I went to a monastery, I'll end with this, I went to a monastery called Worth Abbey, and I was with all these monks that chanted at certain times of the day, right, which is obviously probably not everybody's cup of tea, right, but I was rocking out with these guys, and uh, me a clean heart, oh my God, and all this kind of stuff, right, but the presence of God was so strong, I couldn't believe it, I was like, these guys have got it. These guys have got what I've been looking for. You know, we want that kind of presence of God in this building. But they had it. Every time they came together and started doing their chanting, the presence of God was like a thick blanket. Why? Because this is God's hymn book. This is God's prayers. And if we pray it and we sing it, God's presence is going to watch over his word. Hallelujah. And he's just going to be all over us and all in his house and in his place because we are supposed to be a people who are a house of prayer. And what better prayers to say in God's house than the prayers that he wrote himself to be sang in his house. Amen. And we'll do more of this next time. God bless you. Amen.